Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my weekly show, The Gun Show. Today, my guest is Matea Murda. She's a pro-family conservative activist who is attending the largest annual anti-family United Nations conference you've probably never heard of. It's called the Commission for the Status of Women, and it's being held this week in New York City. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you are going to love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Now, subscribers get access to my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows too, like Ezra's nightly Ezra Levant show, and David Menzies' Friday night show, Rebel Roundup. It's only 8 bucks a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for our podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to therebel.media slash shows to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support The Rebel without ever having to spend a dime. And now, please enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. The United Nations' single largest anti-family conference you probably never heard about is unfolding this week in New York City. And tonight I'm talking to someone who is actually inside the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. wondered where Catherine McKenna or Justin Trudeau for that matter get these crazy ideas about how energy infrastructure in Canada like pipelines now have to be looked at through a gender equity lens have you ever wondered where these two get such crazy crazy ideas like a gender-based plus analysis for any and all government policies procedures projects and bureaucracies going forward well it comes directly out of the United Nations like so many bad progressive ideas tend to do Every single year, feminists, elites, busybodies, bureaucrats, control freaks, cat ladies and politicians from all across the globe have met to talk about women's issues and what they call the advancement of women all across the globe. But what used to be about getting women the franchise and equal rights in the developing world has now morphed into some sort of anti-male, anti-family, anti-child pro-carbon tax catch-all conference for people looking to control your life and rewrite the building blocks of a good society as we know it. This year's United Nations Commission for the Status of Women in New York has a priority theme, whatever that is, that could have been taken directly from a Catherine McKenna tweet. Just look at this. Priority theme, social protection systems, access to public services, and sustainable infrastructure for gender equality and empowerment for women and girls. And the review theme, women's empowerment and the link to sustainable development. Now, I am absolutely dying to know what is going on inside this UN conference. Guaranteed, there's lots of pro-reproductive rights talk as opposed to pro-maternal and child health talk. And no doubt there's a lot of talk about how climate change hurts us gals the worst. You know, 
It's like when my husband turns down the furnace, but my feet are always cold. And if they could solve that problem, I'd be behind this conference. But that's not what they're talking about, is it? Anyway, when I saw that my guest tonight was actually at this weird conference and she was a pro-family conservative, I absolutely just had to have her on. She's a minority in the belly of that New York beast right now, and that takes a lot of guts. Joining me tonight in an interview we recorded Tuesday afternoon from Campaign Life Coalition is conservative pro-life activist Matea Murda. So joining me now from New York, you're in New York, right? I am. Is Matea Murda. She's a conservative activist and she's a pro-lifer and she is at the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. Matea, I'll let you describe yourself um, because I, I'm familiar with you from the internet, um, but I think it's probably best if you describe yourself. But um Good on you for being at this United Nations conference um, on the status of women. Why don't you give us a brief um, synopsis of who exactly you are? For sure. I am from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, right in the middle of Canada. Young female pro-lifer who recently got into politics just by chance um, of standing up for convictions. And so it's only been about just about three years since I've been involved in politics, but pro primarily in the pro-life movement for about two years. Um, I love the fact that politics is not unreachable and that we actually can have a voice. I used to often think that people in the public cannot have a say in what actually happens on an in international and on a national scale. And so, uh, I'm just a young, young Canadian female who happens to be involved in politics by chance and uh, loves to inspire and encourage and educate others to do the same. So you're at the 63rd Commission on the Status of Women. What brings you there and how on earth did you get the United Nations to allow you there? Because <laughs> I've been banned from these things um, for having the ulterior viewpoint I I'm not permitted inside the walls of the climate change conferences because I have icky ideas about um, climate change. Now, I think as a pro-lifer, you're probably going against the general consensus of the elites at this conference. So how did you get in there? Oh, I went through an NGO. That is how I did it. I went through Campaign Life Coalition in Canada. So I did not come here as an individual. Um, otherwise, I would be banned. Uh, so I came with Campaign Life, but as you said, it is going against the elites. It's not going against the majority. The majority do stand with pro-lifers. Uh, and so I, I came as part of the majority voice. That's that's why I'm here, to represent them. Now, what do you hope to accomplish there, um, especially since Justin Trudeau coming to power? Um, the focus has moved away from Stephen Harper's focus on maternal and neonatal health in the developing world to reproductive rights, which is just liberal shorthand for um, what I would call abortion colonialism, um, mm -hmm. making that the pervasive sentiment for our um, 
development and aid funding in the developing world. What do you as a part of Campaign Life Coalition hope to accomplish or even just bring forward while you're there? For sure. Really, I just want to plant seeds and I want to see where, where they're coming from, what they really believe as an individual, also as organizations, as NGOs. And uh, it's, it's having those challenging conversations, raising the issue with people who are, whether it's on a panel, whether it's people from UN organizations um, that really do not like the pro-life voice, it's to make a, make a stand, to take a stand, uh, because there's not, there's not a lot of people who are allowed to come and actually have this opportunity to do so. So really, my only accomplishment is, uh, the only purpose really in me being here is to stand, have a voice, and to uh, tell them that we are here, we are the majority, and that we want to see a change. And that the elites cannot cannot overrule the people. Um, you know, for me, I think that's probably been the most troubling sea change in Canadian policy over the last three years with the Liberals in power has been the complete and total denormalization of not just the pro-life movement through um, taking away the summer jobs funding, but um, the idea that the pro-life movement is not representative of at least 50% of women in this country. Um, and the number gets higher when you say, um, did you know there are no restrictions whatsoever on abortion in this country? Um, the number of people expressing pro-life sentiment gets even higher when you explain mm -hmm. to them that um, just the complete and total lack of regulation we have on it and the company it puts us in, <laughs> like North yeah. Korea. North um, Korea, yeah. 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 So um, uh, how do you feel uh, being a prominent um, activist in the pro-life movement? Um, what's it like um, being in Justin Trudeau's Canada? Oh, my goodness. To tell you the truth, uh, I found it even more empowering. Yeah. So I'm trying uh, to. You know what? I think I'm best when I have to fight. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. It emboldens you. When you have to fight for what you really believe, it builds you even, it gives you a louder, louder, a louder voice, a more prominent platform, and uh, you reach more people that way. And people start to, who feel the same way, who let not necessarily have the same platform or the posi their position in life is not the same, uh, they start to support you. They start to come on and understand what you're saying. And then their voices also get louder so that when they go out into society, into their own social spheres, they also start to feel that they are not alone and that they can also start to speak. So being in Justin Trudeau's Canada uh, is actually a good thing to me because uh, it actually empowers myself and other people who stand on pro-life issues for pro-life matters that you know what you're going to have opposition to what we what we believe all the more power to you because it only makes our loud our voices louder and makes us want to work that much harder you know it's almost like boxing you know when you're when you're training against someone who is um as good as you or as uh i mean the other side of this debate is so well funded um and mm -hmm. so normalized but when you're um 
training against, uh, you know, sort of equal competition, it makes, I feel like it makes you that much better. I know that I'm a better journalist because I'm in Rachel Motley's Alberta than I would yep. be in Jason Kenny. Um, you know, it, 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 my job would be a lot easier, but I don't think that I would have honed the skills that I have. And I think um, mm -hmm. for the pro-life movement, you've really honed your skills um, and your arguments over the, um, the last three years, I think a lot of the movement has really um, appealed to the free speech aspect of Absolutely. what you do. Um, and so you're making allies with people who are normally not, you know, on the religious right or the pro-life right, because there's mm -hmm. a lot of secular pro-lifers, but you are making allies in the free speech movement over the last three years. And um, you've really taken those arguments out into the street. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's incredible is that, like you said, it's not just uh, old white males or it's the nuns and the Catholics who are a part of this movement. It's a movement that is fed by young people, old people, uh, people from across the world, ethnic minorities, people who um, are not religious whatsoever. And yet we all come together because we are all human. And we all believe that we have a right to actually speak for those who cannot and that we need to protect those people because that's what they are. They are people. And so it's everybody coming together to protect other people. Um, you know, for those who say the pro-life movement is um, just compiled of old white men and nuns only has to go to the March for Life to yeah. really see just how diverse and young and old uh, that that the March for Life really is. It's not just the Knights of Columbus and the Little Sisters no. of Charity anymore. No. Um, but getting to the 63rd Commission on the Status of Women, um, I'm dying to hear about the weirdness inside there. I was yeah. sort of scanning the social media of mm -hmm. the conference. And, um, okay, so they say their top theme, uh, their priority theme, because they have priority themes every single yeah. year, is uh, sustainable infrastructure for gender equality and and gender equity. And uh, that sounds a lot like those gender regulations that they've put into the pipeline mm. debate. Um, what yeah. are some of the other weird things that are going on inside the conference? Oh my goodness, there's there's too many to <laughs> to account for, to be honest. Uh, so what they you have to understand is it's not just the formal discussions and negotiations that yeah. are going on. A lot of the weird, weird stuff happens on uh, at events called parallel and side events. And so you get anywhere from things, topics being discussed about LGBT, trans, protecting trans women, um, all the way to comprehensive sexual education and why we need to push that um, in the developing in developing countries. Um, all the way to, I attended a talk yesterday about um, co uh, combating structural misogyny. And uh, it, it, was, it was bizarre. It's just bizarre, some of the weird things that are happening. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of strange, um, strange topics being discussed. But the, the theme, the, the unspoken theme that's really reoccurring is the fact that we have to dismantle the traditional society um, in order to create a new social order. I've, I don't know how many times I have heard creating a new social order over, and it's been, I'm on the second day 
Like I'm not even halfway through the second day at CSW 63 and we have to recreate a new structural uh, social order. Um, and I don't entirely know what that means specifically because I'm at a UN function. Bizarre. So there's a lot of uh, dismantlement that is wanting to occur coming from these people. You know, it's, um, you know, uh, most people, especially people concerned with um, poverty and lack of education and instability for women and girls would be advocating for the safety and security of a family headed by a mother and a father in particular. But it sounds like the UN wants to do something completely different. Um, and we've seen um, what happens when you dismantle the family play mm -hmm. out in the first world. Um, exactly. we, see, we see it in criminal recidivism rates. We see it in poverty rates. The number one predictor um, of whether or not you're going to grow up poor is whether or not you have a dad in the household. And it sounds like that is not something that the uh, United Nations is considering at all. Exactly. Well, and, and a lot of what they're wanting to talk about, because CSW is focused pr primarily around women and girls, um, yeah. is that they want to empower women and when they say empower, you have to understand that the UN and their committees, their commissions often use language that sounds great, but it has an underlying message. And so empowerment really means uh, providing them with education and not necessarily good education, but getting them into schools and um, making sure that women and girls do not um, feel obligated to have families when that is a part of their cultural heritage and it's actually celebrated within the fabric of their communities. Um, so making sure that they are straight away from promoting their communities and social, um, social, what was the word I'm looking for? Encouraging proper social structure, Tradi what we would call in the West traditional so social structure, which is actually a healthy way of living. Um, in order to get them into schools and promote education and career above what is celebrated within countries, which is the family. And so we don't, a lot of women here at CSW don't even want um, there to be the role of dad, the name, the very title dad. They do not want that even to be a part of the heritage and of countries' cultural structures. Because the traditional, remember, the traditional structure of the family is what they want to dismantle. So the very fact that you're talking about the title of dad, they don't want that. Because they believe that women that stand alone are more empowered than if they were suppressed in a marriage or in a union with a man. You have to understand that they want to dismantle that, that entitle, that entitle uh, the patriarchy. The evil patriarchy, that is what they want to dismantle. The evil patriarchy where women and children have been safest for mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of years. That's allowed the species to propagate across this the entire earth. Um, the United Nations wants to undo that. Now, what do they want to replace that with? The government? You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> they want to replace it with the government. More restrictions. They want... They want... They want a new world order. That's what they want. And how do you get that? You dismantle the people who are the loudest, that are the strongest, which is men and women coming together, working together, families working together to create a healthy uh, social structure that improves the lives of not only those within a home, 
but those that go outside of it. And so when you dismantle that, what is left? People are dependent upon the government to make decisions for them. Yeah, and so that's what's going on. You know, they're empowering women and girls by making the government their sugar daddy. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's really just, that's what it comes down to. It's really chilling. Um, going back to you mentioning how weird the side events are, a um, little anecdote from my trip to Bonn, Germany to cover the climate change conference. Oh, the hippies at one of the climate change conferences First, they built an effigy of Angela Merkel and another one of Donald Trump, which is probably more work than they've ever done in their entire lives. Like if they <laughs> they couldn't pick up a hat, like swing a hammer to get a job, but they built mm -hmm. an effigy and then they burned it. They burned it, releasing all this unnecessary carbon into the atmosphere as part of their protest against Trump and Merkel's climate change policies. It's really bizarre. And the reason mm -hmm. I thought of that is because, you, you know, it it's the hypocrisy of it all. It's the hypocrisy of claiming to empower women by completely making them less safe and making them more dependent on the state um, yeah. for their future. It is really, really bizarre. Now, I want to ask you about sort of the elephant in the room at the, at, uh, the conference. Is anybody talking about the fact that Saudi Arabia is on the the uh, status of women uh, condition or Iraq or Iran? I suppose Canada's there until I, I, I have to tell you, I will tell you, there is a side event being hosted by uh, intern. I believe it's the International Muslim Women um, and Islamic Relief. And they're talking about combating violent extremism. For, and this is, again, this is around women and girls. Now, I read that because there's over 400 other events going on. And you're scanning through lists and lists of events. And you come across this one where there's an organization and the co-host, co-sponsor of, of this event. And you go, wait, there's something wrong here. Like, there's something very wrong here with this kind of event being hosted by these people. Um, great on them for wanting to host it and for taking the initiative to do so. But the very fact that you have, like you said, Saudi Arabia, all, the, all these countries that actually do have real suppression on women um, to a very violent extent, it's kind of mind-boggling. Like, it really is. Um, so there are types of events like that that are hosted and co-sponsored by different organizations, not necessarily by countries, but um, those are more of the parallel, what we call parallel events. And it's just, it's absolutely bizarre. Yeah, I was um, doing some research on the conference and I noticed that the fourth one was held in Beijing and that's where this real focus towards women's equality took place, I think it was 1995. Um, they held it in Beijing and nobody there talked about the forced abortions of little girls or the fact that orphanages are plugged up with abandoned little girls mm -hmm. who've never bonded to anybody. Um, yeah. uh, but but that's just the hypocrisy of these United Nations conferences. It really, really is. Bringing up mis the misogyny um, uh, issue, issue being, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, in that talk, it was absolutely, it was very strange because they were talking about how we need to uh, get women out of the suppression 
at the hands of suppression of men. And women need to be encouraged to rise up and use their voices and wear their pussy hats and all this, that, and the other thing. Ugh, I know, I know, but it's everywhere here. It's everywhere. But oh when, when they were talking about this, how women need to rise and men need to get behind the women and we need to get out of the suppression of men, the hypocrisy was really blown up in the room because they go, but we need men to do their parts. We need men to rise up and encourage women. We need men to step into society and, and do this and that and the other thing. And it's like, wait, but we were supposed, their, their voices are supposed to be suppressed, I thought, in order to encourage women. And so what are men supposed to do? It's all about suppressing men and rising up, raising up women, which when you're talking about equality, one of the big key reoccurring themes in CSW 63 is equality. And what the heck is equality if we're suppressing and then rising one above the other? Where that's not equality, that is actually the complete opposite of it. If we're, yeah, we're, if we're doing this, when in actuality we need to be doing this, we need to get people on the same level, we are all the same because we are all human. Yeah, I'm all for e- I'm all for equality of opportunity, but exactly. this sounds a lot like supremacy. It, <laughs> this it sounds a supremacy. lot like it is yeah, supremacy. It, yeah, and it I mean the uh, just the bizarre and demented mind that thinks that a loving stable relationship is, between a man and a woman is somehow um oppression. I mean it's just bizarre those poor cats at their homes. <laughs> They're, they're poor uh, cats that are left behind while these women are at this conference. Um, <laughs> I saw on some of the social media for this conference, they're talking about um, the achievement of women and girls in sporting, and you're an athlete yourself. So I wanted to ask you um, about that elephant in the room of um, genetic males, really, um, mm-hmm. playing uh female sports uh, my daughter is a rugby player she plays wow. um uh, very wow. competitive um plays in international tournaments she's 12 the day a boy gets on um the opposing team is the day she has to quit playing i, I mean that's just how it is it robs women and girls of their um ability to play and compete but you're an athlete so i want your opinion and is anybody talking about this at the conference it's wrong plain and simple yeah it is wrong uh there is no, there is no reason, uh, rational reason that that should be happening, and uh, I, I would never stick my daughter, my son, in any sport where their team is made up of these types of um, ideals being pushed by, by whether it's their coaches or their schools or whatever it might be. Um, because it's not, it's not fair. And if you were at the UN, I'm at the UN, we're talking about fairness and equality. That is not fair. And that does not promote equality. So you actually see the other side kind of self imploding on itself um, in trying to force these, these ideals um, to try and be inclusive when in actuality, it's actually the farthest thing from being inclusive and equal and fair. It's, it's yeah. just wrong. Well, like so many of these um, UN um, initiatives, it actually, I mean, it has the, uh, I don't know if it's an unintended consequence or if it's completely intended, but it has the opposite effect of what um, 
they're telling us they intend intend to do where they uh you know it's about giving opportunities to people while simultaneously stripping them from others um absolutely but yeah, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show you've been very generous with your time i know you're at the un and you have a very tight time frame um hopefully we can check back in with you um mm. after the conference um later on down the road about the health and welfare of the pro-life movement and i want to thank you for giving us um an insider's view of what goes on at these weird weird conferences so thanks for coming on the show absolutely thank you for the opportunity and for what you're doing i appreciate it thank you Mateya the best of luck this week at the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. I think she's got her work cut out for her, but I think what she's doing there is a bit of a rebelistic mission, wouldn't you say? She's there representing the other side of the story, the side of the story the elites inside that conference have no time or patience for. Mateya is there representing the at least 50% of women and men who identify as pro-life in some form or another, but she's also there to remind those United Nations control freaks that the family remains the building block of a successful, moral, and good society. And that women are safest and children are safest inside a family. And to dismantle that proves the true motives of the United Nations. You see, they don't really so much care about women and children so much as they care about being in control of women and children. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>